Welcome back, everyone that may be tuning in for the interview. Today, I'm interviewing DeAndre Tompkins, former Penn State wide receiver and currently a free agent in the NFL. To start things off, something that always interests me, and I spent a little bit of time working for NC State football recruiting, and I got a different perspective on that. But not everyone always gets to get insight into what it's like to be a four-star or five-star recruit. And coming out of high school, you were a four-star recruit. You had 2,000 all-purpose yards your junior year from what I could find, 1,500 all-purpose yards as a senior what was that recruiting process like was it at some points maybe a surreal experience and just on the high school level did it ever become a distraction for you whether it be in school or actually performing on the field yeah I mean it was a lot of ups and downs going into high school you know I, I didn't really think I had uh, you know the ability to play and get D1 offers so you know when I got my first offer it was kind of like you know a shock it was like wow I can really you know do this. So at that end, it really was kind of overwhelming at first, um, just grasping the idea that people really want to offer me a scholarship to play for their school. You know, in the middle of my junior year, that's when I started to get the bulk of my offers. And that's when it kind of got overwhelming. You know, coaches calling all the time. I had, you know, two or three coaches come per week to like to the school to see me and stuff like that. Coaches coming to games. So around that time, it started to get, uh, you know, overwhelming. At one point, my mother, my my mother and my father were thinking about giving me a whole new phone, a whole new phone number. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was, it was getting kind of crazy. Um, but it did get uncomfortable. A couple games, I actually did have a, a North Carolina State coach come watch me play. And that whole first half, I just remember like, being so jumpy and, and anxious and stuff like that. I think after that experience, it kind of humbled me and realized that, uh, you know, I still have to be myself. I still have to go out and perform and, and still earn these scholarships every year. I still have a senior year, so I can still lose these. So my senior year was, I kind of put everything aside. You know, I didn't really talk to a lot of the coaches. I didn't really go on too many visits. So it really wasn't overwhelming for me at that point. Um, At that point, I just treated it as if, you know, I had no offers and I just was having fun with my friends. So you ultimately wound up choosing Penn State over a couple other big offers. What led you to that decision? Because I don't think people a lot of times even really understand how a player comes to that decision. Like, why don't you just take your best offer or why didn't you go there? So how come, what was the process of making that decision and why Penn State over the other schools that you did choose? I have a lot of mentors and people that I go to for advice throughout my life. And the biggest advice I got when I was getting ready to choose and getting all these offers and going to schools was uh, aside from academics, like academics being the, the focal point of everything. So that was one, rule number one was find a school that was really good on education had a really high graduation rate and, and provided the type of programs that I would like to be in. So aside from that, you know, my, my biggest thing was finding a place where there wasn't too many guys with my skill set. And I felt like I was wanted. I, I not, not so much as, you know, like we said, getting treated as royalty, but so much as there's a need for a certain type of player in this offense or, you know, returner or whatever and they just don't have that yet and are looking for it so those were my two criteria in looking and Bill O'Brien was the the head coach for Penn State um, when I got recruited there um, and got offered and I think that was one thing that Bill did that separated him from a lot of other the coaches that I met was my my family um, my father's in the military so I grew up as a military kid so it was a lot of you know, my way or the highway, 100, it was either a zero or 100. Mm-hmm. And he kind of reminded me of that. I'm sure as you've seen, a lot, of, a lot of kids will come in and they get fed 
all type of stuff, man. You can come here and play. You can be this. You can be that. And that, that was one thing that was really a turnoff for me. A lot of schools I went to, you know, they had a couple All-American receivers or they had all receivers that were 6'5", 210. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, I'm not coming here and starting as a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Bill kind of laid out the map, man. He, you know, he explained that he's running an NFL offense that, you know, we're not just feeding one person. He really needs a slide guy. He doesn't have one. And that was clear when you looked at their roster. They didn't have a guy who was clearly the slot. Um, they had a lot of guys mixing in that in that role. And at the end of the day, I was in his office. Me and my father were in his office. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you can either come here and earn your spot and earn your role. Or you can go somewhere else and wish you came here. <clears throat> you know, I didn't commit on the spot at that time. But those words kind of resonated with me for a while because, you know, you hear a lot of a lot of schools, they say, man, you come here, we'll give you everything. Everybody will love you. You know, you get all this gear, you'll get all this stuff. I don't think Bill mentioned one time of something that you will get. It was more of here are the things that you can earn once you get here. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one thing that uh, I felt like was a home for me. And then also some of the guys on the team that I kind of knew of, you know, through my time of traveling and, and being that uh, recruit in my class, I'm, I got close to some of those guys. So a lot of us actually were very interested in Penn State and came back multiple times. I, I've seen it. People talk about it a couple of times. And you just mentioned having some of the relationship of the other crew recruits in your class. How much do you look at what the other recruits are doing with their decision making while making your decision? Is it a major factor? Like if a, a recruit that would maybe ranked higher than you or talked more about nationally committed to, let's say, NC State or a, a different school. How much did you pay attention to that? Not really at all, honestly, because um, I, I understood being the background that I've had and I've been you know, as a military kid, um, I moved around a lot. So I've gotten a perspective of how different everybody's lives are. So that was really something that I knew my path was going to be different than a lot of other people. I knew a lot of people came from different backgrounds, knew different people, had different skill sets. And just at the end of the day, I knew that, you know, my father always preached to me, like, it doesn't matter who's in front of you or who's behind you, you know, it's all on how much you put forth the effort to get better. So it didn't necessarily weigh on me at all. From what I can remember, I remember my sophomore year in college after Bill O'Brien left, he actually came back one time during Pro Bowl or not Pro Bowl, during Pro Day. I walked up to him. I'm like, hey, man, you remember me? You recruited me and left. And, you know, we kind of like joked a little bit. But he actually told me that they were recruiting. It was me and Ryan Switzer at the same time to come there. So that was something that I knew Ryan, me and Ryan uh, was really close during the recruiting process and stuff like that. UNC and Penn State was recruiting us heavy. So I, I, I kind of knew of his situation, but, you know, it, it didn't really matter to me who was there, who committed to where. It was just, you know, wherever I go, I just hope. So what was the most difficult transition from high school ball to, to college ball for you? Was it the scheme changes? Was it the just players bigger, faster, stronger? Or was it also just balancing the academics? What was the most difficult thing for you in that transition? Yeah, so I would say two things. One, time management, being on your own and learning how to, you know, wake up by yourself, go mm -hmm. to class by yourself, study by yourself. So I say that was the biggest change for me is learning how to fit everything into 12, 14 hour time gap that you got to, to make everything work for you. Because there's times where you're going to wake up and you're like, I don't want to do nothing, but you still got to wake up and be responsible. And football wise, I would say 
the hardest part was actually learning football. You know, a lot of people, um, from my experience, a lot of people in high school don't get that knowledge of the game until way later in their career. So for me, man, it was, I went from playing backyard football to now having to learn what coverages are, what hots are, what an alert is, understanding how to hear the play in the huddle. That was the biggest thing is actually hearing the play instead of seeing signals, having two play combos, having into the game situations, things that you have to remember, hand signals, all, all of these things that are getting thrown at you at once. You know, a lot of people think it's just memor memorization and it's really not. It's really like applied physics. Like you have to understand why we are doing something before we even start doing it and you should be able to anticipate it. So that was one thing that was really hard for me. I got to remember I'm the X and I have this. Yeah. Now I have to understand I'm the X. I have, I'm on this side of the field. I have this route that influences X, Y, and Z. And, you know, on the back side, they have this because it helps me do this. So it was just piecing all the puzzles together in order to play faster. And that, that was really football wise. That was the biggest hurdle that I had to get over. So uh, what kind of system did you come from? You mentioned backyard football. Was it just give you the ball and go or give your best players the ball and go <laughs> kind of speak to that and also maybe speak to how many players come in with a solid knowledge base where they're already there, where they maybe have a head start on some things you just talked about and how many players come in just pure athleticism or they want on maybe that in high school. Yeah. So in high school, man, we like literally we were making plays in a huddle. <laughs> like there were, there were times where, you know, me and my quarterback were really, were so athletic that our coach felt so comfortable in just saying, hey, like, you're the quarterback, you're the running back, or you're the quarterback, you're the wide receiver, y'all figure it out. And so we'd literally be in a huddle, and I would be like, all right, Chris, what you want? He'd be like, all right, I want you to run this, you to run this, you to run this, you to run this, and then go. Or <clears throat> we had the, I had the ability to change the play if I, if I saw something. So if we had, like, a sweep to the right, and I felt like, you know, the defense kind of knew we were running over there, I would completely change the play to like a pass play or like a sweep to the left or something like that. So it's like playing intramural flag football. <laughs> yeah, it was literally like, hey, wildcat, like you just catch the ball and you just score. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys won games that way. What works? Yeah, man, actually, actually, actually uh, I looked at um, a while ago, I looked at my high school highlights and literally half of my highlights are just me being a wildcat quarterback and putting everybody out and just running quarterback run. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, to your second question, man, I think uh, it, it really all depends. There are a lot of guys that come in that are freak athletes and that can play. But as you go higher and higher, you know, each level, your physical attributes are important. The mental aspect becomes way more important than the physical. So when you get to college, you know, there's a lot of guys who have the uh, physical ability to cover for some of their mistakes, and those guys are able to play. And there are guys that are physically gifted than a lot of people on the team, but they may get redshirted just because, you know, you don't ever want to go out there and not understand what's going on because that's when you get hurt or you hurt somebody else. And in my experience, man, there's very few guys come into college that really understand the game. Like it really takes time outside of outliers that guys who come into college to have fathers or brothers or whatever that has been in a league and is teaching them stuff, man, it is, is, is 
very hard to find those guys because it's very hard to find high school programs that that really invest in their kids that much and have the time. Yeah, a lot of high school programs. I mean, you um, mentioned just running Wildcat the whole time. They'll run wing T offenses yeah. <laughs> yeah. with all linemen, one running back, or something oh, like yeah. that. And while yeah. it's nice in high school, it won't necessarily get you anywhere. And one of the head coaches I know, he had a division one recruit at tight end but he's played and put him at line because tight ends didn't fit in his offense and then there's also the coaches where it's like uh we're not going to use you because i want my system to work and i want people to see my system to get to advance their own job to the next level there's a lot of politics in high school or just doing what (laughs) doing whatever they can to win running these weird offenses that won't help the kids in the future yeah man And, and sadly it only gets worse as you go higher and higher up the level so to find a coach that Um, will take the time to invest in his athletes in their mental game more than their physical man it's hard to find coaches that are like that and when you do you can tell the love of you know the players that have for their coaches when they see that about the talent that you had at Penn State you talked a little bit about all the different guys that came in and at Penn State there was a lot of NFL name big NFL names that you played with that were on the offense you were a part of some of the biggest being Saquon, Chris Godwin, Mike Kosicki. What was it like coming in with that collection of talent talent around you on that offense? What were practices like? What was it like for your coaches creating a a game plan where they had guys like Saquon, Kosicki, you in the slot? They had speed everywhere. And they also had Trace McSorley, uh, quarterback, I believe. Man, it was fun. Uh, When I tell you, practice was so so much funner and excitable than it was the games the games were so easy it, it was times where me and Deshaun would be on the same side of the field and but we'd be joking like as we're going to run to our positions we like hey bro what's up bro like what's like this kind of boring what's up <laughs> like you know what I'm saying on our offense alone we just had guys who understood the game of football all of the receivers we could all switch positions I could play Chris Godwin's I could play X I can play F, I can play Z. Godwin can play the same thing. Mike can play the same thing. Ham can play the same thing. Saquon can play receiver. So it was just, it got to the point to where our coach really didn't have to do too much. And you can tell throughout the year, you know, how comfortable Moorhead was with us just interchanging and doing whatever we wanted. And there were times where we would see signals in a certain play and we knew who were getting the ball and we knew it was going to be a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a few times where me and Ham would play rock, paper, scissors to see who would get it. <laughs> at, 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 we'll see the signal and we'll have a couple minutes and we'll look at each other and we'll just go quick. Like, and I was like, all right, cool. I got it. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Pra- practice was so much fun. We all challenged each other. Um, we all fed off of each other because we all had different talents. So it was a lot of just figuring out, like going to Chris and being like, Hey man, what really makes you, you, like, wh- why did you do this? Or going to ham, why did you do that? And there was a times where Chris and God would come to me and be like, hey, what, what were you thinking on this release? And how did you run this route? Like, how would you be able to do that? And stuff like that. So it was really just, man, we're all comfortable with each other. We all loved each other. And we all knew what each other's were thinking, um, you know, on the field. So it was just a light show, man. And I, I take my hat off to the defense as well, because we had guys on the other side of defense that were just as talented that made it hard for us and made it fun for us. You know, practice was mm-hmm. hard because we were going against guys that were at the same level as us, but not only that, knew what we were good at and tried to take it away from us. So 
Um, you know, it was just fun, like messing around and practice, trying new things, things that we would probably never do in a game, but just being able to have that freedom to do that and that mm-hmm. trust. Speaking of Saquon, I've mentioned to you before, I'm a big Giants fan. The first day you saw him at practice, the first time you met him, did you know or did you think he was going to be as good as he wound up getting drafted? Second overall pick in the draft, running backs never get drafted that highly typically. What was it like when you saw him for the first time at practice? Yeah, man, when we saw him first time at practice, it was crazy. I just remember we were like doing scrimmages and stuff like that. He broke off a couple big runs and we were like, oh, okay, like, this guy, this guy's good. And then, of course, in one of the in one of the scrimmages, he does one of his famous hurdles. And at that moment, we were just like, yeah, like this guy's different. Like he's not the same as a lot of other guys. And then on top of that, you know, him learning from some of us um, and the coaches and being, um, you know, a guy who wants to learn and get better every day. You know, we kind of knew as soon as we met him, as soon as we saw him and stuff like that, that, yeah, this guy was going to be, you know, he's going to be out of here quick, you know, going to the league. So it was no surprise from anybody who knew him or anybody on the team that he was going to be where he is now. Did he change drastically as far as a player from his freshman year to a sophomore and junior year, or did he come in just <laughs> the same size? <laughs> uh, no, nah, he, he was, he was, as far as physically, he was still the same size. He got a little bit stronger, of course, as, as, you know, he started to weight lift a little bit more. But yeah, I think the good thing is that we we all honestly changed throughout those three, four years of us there and us playing. We all kind of evolved our game to different things because we all was trying to watch each other and do different things of each other. So <clears throat> there was times where, you know, Saquon would be, we'd have a concept where Saquon would end up being a slot player. So he would come to me and be like, hey, you know, how, how, are we, how do you do this when you're out there? And he will kind of do his own thing. And I'm watching him like, oh, I'm going to try that next time I'm out there in the slot. Or, um, you know, some of us will end up in the backfield and we're like, hey, Saquon, how do you read these blocks? How do you do this? How do you do that? So uh, we all evolved in a way to where, man, he became, you know, less of a running back and more of an all-purpose out of the backfield. He can run routes in the slot. He can do that, do that. Yeah, it was like an evolution of not just him, but everybody on our team, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, th- I feel like I kind of know the answer to this question, but is there any, do you regret going to Penn State at all as far as your playing experience there? Or is there uh, maybe a different decision you would have made while at Penn State? Or, or is there anything about the experience that you maybe regret? Or Nah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't change any decision, any decision that I've made, maybe going back and, and studying a little harder uh, other than that and, and going to a couple more uh, office hours. that's Um, every college student (laughs) other than that man i I learned so much being around all all of those different people and just getting out of my comfort zone you know being born in the south of florida living in the south all my life going up north and and seeing a different part of america um was just a change for me you know there there wouldn't be nothing in the world that i change about it um you know, it's just now taking advantage and, and showing other people that have the opportunity to have the experiences I have to kind of just get them to slow down and not try to rush through it and, and take more, uh, not take anything for granted. Um, you know, you get into college and you try to move so fast that you look back and you're like, dang, I wish I would have, yeah. you know, enjoyed my time a little bit more. So that's about it, man. I wouldn't change it for the world, honestly. Yeah, and um, speaking to the part about growing up in the South and then go- going to the North, I'm the exact opposite. First 14 years of my life, I spent on Long Island, and eventually yeah. I moved to Greensboro. And it really 
broadens your horizons. A lot of people always say they don't want to move. They're so scared of it, but yeah. it's two completely different worlds because, <laughs> you know, it's almost, it's not moving to another country, but in some mm-hmm. sense it, it almost is with the, with the yeah. way that people are and everything. And it's something mm-hmm. I definitely highly valued now looking back on it. It sucked in the moment. Yeah. I, I definitely uh, uh, agree with that sentiment as well. And speaking now, kind of moving on to the NFL, what was the draft process like for you? What was your biggest takeaway from that process? And looking back on it, what are some things you maybe recommend to players that are going to go through in the future that are preparing to go through, uh, go through this season? And so, some things you maybe wish you would have done a little bit differently throughout the process. Yeah, man, the, the experience for me was kind of um, eye-opening. Uh, I was able to live you know, get a taste of the life that, you know, I, I'm looking forward to, um, get, got to be around a lot of people that I've seen on TV, I admire, um, I've taken a lot of their game from, <clears throat> and just learning about myself, and just learning what my body likes, what my body doesn't like, what's the best fit for my body, and just training my mind as well. That was literally all I did. Um, I think we had, what, two or three months worth of just honing in on how do you make yourself the best self and people underestimate that like that is a process it's not just you know you go to the gym a couple times and you run a couple laps and you're good like this is like consistent mental physical emotional all of that stuff all put together that journey was just so eye-opening to me and it allowed me to network with a lot of different people and uh you know switch my opinion on things and and all of that man as far as the process uh and what I do and some some knowledge about it. If I had to go back and change it, I definitely would have went back and changed with Ricky if I could have. I think being with Ricky, you know, gives you a different perspective because that's not only a player and a coach, but you know, he has kids at the same level. Um, you know, Austin and, and Blake, and he kind of gets every he's he has every viewpoint of each level of this whole thing and that's not knocking on where I went to train uh you know in Bomberitos in Miami was was beautiful and amazing I loved it but I think just being around somebody like Ricky is is unvaluable like you you can't put any value on that that's amazing and then any knowledge for guys going through the process um any advice I'd give them is just have fun like this is a time where you know you have the ability to dig deep and get better, but don't cloud yourself so much in, in trying to get better and not enjoying this time and this moment you get in between, you know, being done with college and going that transition to the league. Enjoy this time, soak up as much as you can and really just try to try to meet and network with all of the people that you've looked up to in the league, like any possibility you can go to train with somebody I had the luxury of training with Allen Robinson. You know, I knew him from Penn State. I trained with him. I trained with, you know, Curtis Samuel. I trained with uh, Robert Griffin and Xavier Rhodes and stuff like that. And these are just guys that as a not even a rookie yet, I'm like, man, what is it like to be in the NFL? And they're breaking it down. They're not just giving you that watered down. You know, it's a business. You got to do this. They're ways to take care of your body, things to look out for, like connections you need to make and, and what's really important in the league. So uh, that's what I tell them, man, is just network, connect, soak up anything you can, but don't drive yourself into the wall training every day, you know, trying to get better. Like you have to balance that time because once you get to wherever you're going, man, it's, it's 
his work. So as, as an undrafted free agent and uh, someone who two years pretty much of your young career so far has it's been the whole COVID thing. How, how has that kind of affected the whole being an undrafted free agent? Do you think it's something that's kind of inhibited some opportunities or how is that uh, factored into things for you? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of both. Um, you know, COVID kind of uh, pushed a lot of guys out of the league just for safety reasons, but also it, it really opened up eyes to a lot of guys that, you know, were kind of on the fence, whether they wanted to come back or they didn't, it kind of showed them, I can, I, I really want to be back. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do whatever I can during this time. You know, you couldn't just go down the street and go to a gym and start working out. You had to get creative. You had to understand what your body needed and how to get it done creatively. So, uh, I feel like it was a time to where it really showed like who really wanted to work hard and make it and make it back. And it pushed some of the guys who were kind of on the fence more away from, you know, trying to just get in and, and, you know, waste an opportunity. You spent a short amount of time in the XFL. What was that experience like? And do you think a league like that is necessary or it could be necessary in the future or is very beneficial in the future because that ultimately also went down the tubes with uh, COVID being a COVID, thing. Yeah. Um, man, I think it was awesome. I think it was really good. I think that was something too, that being around guys who were in the same boat as you had the same experiences, you know, went to teams, you know, whatever it is, they just didn't work out, you know, being able to all share our story on why we're here and what we want to do to get back lighted another fire on the guys to, you know, do whatever they can to get back. And then I just think, honestly, it gives some guys that time to actually get film and get that experience and stuff like that. Cause that's something that is really hard to get in a national football league is playing time mm-hmm. and, and that experience in that film It's things that, you know, you just have to experience to get better and being home, working out and doing one-on-ones with a couple of friends is not going to give you that experience, you know, 11 guys on the field and you got to look for a mic and he's blitzing. You got to do this, do that. So I really think it'd be beneficial to not only people in the XFL, but just in general, man, just having the ability to, um, kind of like what the GD league and all that stuff is for the NBA have that ability to I'm not there yet I don't have the experience or or the talent yet but I know I can get there and here are the steps that I can take to make it there rather than it being a league and it's like if you don't make it now you know it, it's it's hard for you to get back to what to what extent is it who you know versus what you show on tape in the NFL because I'm, I'm sure it's different and with every organization but in the real world it's so you always hear it's who you know not always how capable you are uh, to what extent do you think that plays a factor and I, I've heard you talk a little bit about it with Ricky uh, with veteran receivers or veteran players in general it definitely sounds like it's a major factor in getting oh. playing time places yeah, man, I, I feel like it's no different than, than you know, corporate America. You know, you still have to be able to get the job done and, you know, uh, in a good percentage of times. You know, you definitely can't be a slouch or be lazy and stuff like that and, and have your name circling around. It's a little bit of both, man. It's in order for you to get that, get that status to where somebody can call your name and you can get a roster spot, you have to at some point have proven that, you know, I'm trustworthy, I'm reliable, I get the job done. And you can count on me. So when you kind of earn that role, you know, you got a safety spot in the back of your mind and some coaches that, you know, when they get a new job or, you know, they transfer somewhere, 
you know, they're going to think about who is a guy that I can trust to get the job done and, and know my system and know it in and out. So it, it's kind of a little bit of both, man. You got to you got to put all your eggs on the table and show on film that I can do this job 10 times and do it 10 times the right way. You know, once, once you've crossed that hurdle, then you've kind of earned that title. Like me and Ricky said, once you once you get that veteran's status man you can get a call from anybody at any time well i meant i know when you're talking to ricky about it it's almost you said it was almost pick and choose for some of those guys where they want to play <laughs> yeah, yeah. some of those yeah. veterans yeah because i mean you got to think uh you know in within your division you know you play teams twice so teams see you twice they have to game plan you know all these other coaches like man we got to see this dude twice every every year you know what i'm saying so you know it could be not only the coaches on your team but it'd be coaches in your division that know you really well coach could have a friend who you know he's talked to you talked about you to him so sometimes it's just you know being able to put it on film and not just practice film but game film as well cuz other coaches evaluate that as well so mm-hmm. um sometimes you know you you may end up putting a lot of stuff on film to where multiple teams in your division or divisions across the national league hit you up and say, Hey man, we like what you, what you've shown. Speak to your most recent NFL experience. You're playing with the Packers. You get to play with Aaron Rodgers. I heard you and Ricky say a few things about Aaron Rodgers. We've seen everyone who and maybe watched this interview almost has definitely seen Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee's show, but what is it like playing with him, catching passes from him and also compared to maybe Catching passes from an all-time great. It's not every receiver, even who plays an entire NFL career, gets to catch passes from someone Aaron Rodgers. What has that experience been like with, with the Packers? And hopefully you do get to continue that after week four, I think, from my understanding, yeah. is when he can sign again. Man, it, it definitely puts you in a different mental space when you're out there because, you know, he knows everything. Like, <laughs> there's nothing he doesn't know. So it, it pushes you to be at an elite level, whether you want to be or not. Every time you step in a huddle, and you see him coming into the huddle, you have to like mentally get ready to be ready for anything and everything. So he really challenged you without actually doing it. Just his presence on the field being, you know, a a future Hall of Famer for sure and an elite athlete at his position and just being mentally gifted. He just meant he just without even putting in effort, just put stress on everybody in that huddle, man, to perform at, at, 150% because he's definitely going to make make it happen yeah so he being with him man it really showed me how you know somebody of that caliber carries themselves really nice really down down to earth you know he has his headphones on in the locker room he doesn't really talk too much when he does talk it, it has meaning guys shut up they they get their pins out and anytime he makes corrections, anytime he does anything, he makes sure everybody understands. And so that's something that, you know, I've kind of experienced with him is that, you know, he's not a guy that will just say he wants something this way. He explains to you, hey, don't ever turn your back to me because I I can do this, this or this. So you have to be ready for this. It's shell shocking to see him in person. But then after you kind of get his mannerisms and who he really is, you know, you're kind of just like, man, this guy is really cool. Like, it, it's crazy how just nonchalant and like, goofy he is at practice and you're like mm-hmm. dude you're like you should be 99 overall and you're going to be in the hall of fame like how are you this you know what i'm saying like yeah it, it, i'm sure it humanized him uh yeah. once you were there for a while to what extent do players pay attention to what their teammates are saying in the media whether it be the whole thing that went down with aaron Rodgers between him and the packers organization or just in general even relating it back to your college days do you guys really pay attention to that or is it more kind of whatever you say and 
we're just a team and everything we talk about as a team stays within us, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of a different aspect, college versus NFL. College, you have a whole media team that basically choreographs everything for you. They already know the questions that's going to be asked before they ask. They'll never put you in tough situations. So in college, it's more, more of like, you know, you have a lot of handcuffs and, and shackles around you know, what you can touch on, what you can't touch on. Whereas the NFL, man, it's really personalized. Like you don't have that many shackles, man. So, you know, what you say you're putting your name on in some organizations, uh, it can be kind of toxic and, and, and kind of detrimental to the locker room and, and some players' futures and even coaches. But for the most part, man, a, a lot of guys, they hear about it, but it doesn't really weigh too much. At least me personally, you definitely can't get it from around it. You know, once somebody says something, you know, social media and Internet blows it up. It's definitely something that, you know, you'll never get away from. Certain individuals and organizations handle that, you know, very differently depending on where you're at and who you are, obviously. A question more just about football in general and you being a wide receiver and a bunch of colleagues are wide receivers. Who do you think is the most underappreciated wide receiver in the NFL right now, whether it be from what they can do from the slot, from the outside, route running, the numbers they put up? Who do you think's the most underappreciated guy? Could even be you. I don't know. Because <laughs> ah, um, there's, there's a lot of guys that get their recognition, you know, in, in what they do and I kind of bias going to Green Bay. But I would have to say Alan Lazard, man. He's a guy who I've been around enough to see and experience his work ethic and, um, you know, his approach to the game and him as well being a guy that was kind of like on the fence early in his career and being able to break through, man, the dude does everything. He does the grimy stuff, you know, and he's able to play any position and anything that's asked of him. He's not a guy that's, that's too big for any task. And when he's asked to do a task, man, he just buckles up and gets it done. I mean, I feel like he's a guy who shows up consistently every day is a guy that I had looked up to, um, other than Devontae, of course, when I was there, when I was there at Green Bay, a guy that I can count on and go to, you know, was him, man. He really was able to teach me a lot of things um, and give me some tools and things like that. So I really feel like, you know, he's one of those guys on the team that, you know, Devontae and being in Aaron Rodgers, you know, kind of are the are the guys in the face. But Alan Lazard really does a lot behind the scenes that people may not understand and appreciate, you know, unless you're a football player and you know the playbook and then you're like, man, this kid does a lot. So uh, relating just to the wide receiver position and what the public understands from the wide receiver positioning, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about the wide receiver position, maybe in conjunction with even the quarterback position? Because for example, as a basic fan in the NFL and football in general, I never truly understood the timing that goes into route concepts. Watching Ricky uh, train a bunch of different players from you, his group, group session he holds with high school and other college guys, it gave me a much greater appreciation for how important the timing was on routes, getting in and out of breaks, how if one misstep could give the DB that much more of an advantage. What do you think is the greatest misconception about the position and maybe some of the most important characteristics that the public may not think about when they're saying, oh, this player is so good because they can do that. Man, a big I think the biggest misconception is that wide receivers just go and run routes and catch. Like, it, it, like it's an easy thing to do. Obviously, catching the football is the biggest task, but I think a lot of people don't understand what goes on mentally for a receiver every play. Like, it's not just every once in a while you'll get a tough situation. Like, you can count on – 
you can count on it being at least seven to 10 things that you have to, like a checklist that you have to check down every play before the balls even snap. And then not only that, you have to be able to change at any moment in time, whether that's the quarterback changing the play, it being a certain situation, like down in distance, your route may change based off it being third and four versus third and seven, your route changing based off the coverage. You may run it a certain way in this coverage than you do in the other coverage. You may have option routes where you have three or four different routes you can run, but based off the coverage and the leverage, you have to run certain routes and timing. Something about timing as well is, you know, being able to understand where I'm at in the progression. What is, what is the quarterback looking at before he gets to me? There's times where, you know, I, I'd be watching college or NFL and, you know, some of the announcers would be like, you know, th- this guy, this guy was slow off the ball. He should have got off the ball a little faster. And it's like, man, if you just knew how much goes into this play, you would understand why he had to be slow off the ball. He can't speed up because that'll put him in a bad situation and the quarterback wouldn't be able to trust him. And how fra- and another thing is how fragile the, the relationship between the quarterback and a wide receiver is. It only takes, you know, a couple times for the quarterback to doubt himself and looking to you for you to lose a couple attempts in the game. For example, like we know Devontae and Aaron Rodgers have built such a relationship to where, you know, and other guys have this like Patrick Mahomes and uh, Tariq Hill or Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, or um, Derek Carr and, um, and Darren Waller and things like that. These guys have such a relationship to where the quarterback doesn't care what's going on. If it breaks down, I'm throwing it to where you are. You better catch it. Yeah. Like, I'm not thinking of anybody else. I know where you're going to be if everything breaks down. So Week one, we saw that with Waller. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, it, it gets to a point to where you're like, is he the only receiver on the field? Like, that relationship is, is so strong between those two guys that, you know, he knows exactly where he's going to be every time. But if you don't have that relationship and the quarterback doubts you every once in a while, you know, it may put your your attempts in jeopardy. Really being keyed into everything that's going on, every play. And then also you have to really have like a journal in your head. Um, And this is something that I tell my little brother because he's playing tight end and receiver in high school. And I challenge him and I'm like, hey, man, what coverage did they play on first down? And he's like, I don't remember. And I'm like, bro, you got to remember that. What leverage did he play last play? And you're like, I don't don't remember. What release did you use? Um, what release did you, what last two releases did you use? He's like, I don't. And it's like, when you get to college and the league, there was times where, you know, me and Deshaun and Chris would come to the sideline and give everybody exactly what happened that whole drive. Like, hey, play five, he played me inside leverage. I gave him a, a, a double release and he fell for the second release. Play 12, he played inside leverage and I gave him a, a speed release and he didn't take that. So guys, next time you're out there with this guy, it's cover two. He's playing inside leverage, speed release, because he's not going to take little things like that. Like you just have to be able to remember like everything and then be able to adjust on the fly. Um, and there's so much other things that go into that position that people just think you line up and go. But even something as simple as where you line up, like your split, being one yard off of your split can change everything. So it's, it's very it's a very fragile position, but it's very rewarding. You know, once you do everything right, it's a lot of things that will take care of itself. But once you do one little thing wrong, it could jeopardize the whole play. Yeah, and something I heard you and Ricky speak to while listening to your guys' conversations while you're training is the – and you just 
spoke to a little bit when with the commentator saying he got off the ball slow is that with slant routes, especially you don't need to get off the ball a hundred miles an hour because if you're running into a linebacker or oh yeah, you, you've talked about it. I've heard you talk about it with Devante and how great he is. Sometimes he just walks off <laughs> the, yeah. the line of scrimmage so much and the corner has to stay with them and he's, not able to just leave him if he's just standing there and it's different ways they set it up. I think that's something a lot of average or most fans don't understand. And I myself didn't really come to realize until watching Ricky train a bunch of different guys. Yeah. Every, everybody that that's one thing that was, that was hard for me going into the league. You know, I, I ran everything and you've kind of been there too, while we were training. There's times where Ricky had to literally tell me like, Hey man, don't, you don't have to run a hundred percent, you know, go 70, go 60. Because in college, you know, you're always told, you know, gun at 100%. You're not running fast enough. Go, go, go. And then you get to the league and it's like, if you run that route 100 miles per hour and you get over there too soon, you might be picking up your teeth off the ground. And so you're like, whoa, like, I, I don't want to do that. So just being able to understand that it's a game within a game. You know, you have to be over here at a certain time. You know, there's other things that affect your route. And, and that you're able to do within your route before you get there. Yeah, definitely. And you can kind of interpret this question any way you like uh, from your experience in high school, college, NFL. Who is the biggest what if player for you, whether their career may have been derailed by injury, by off the field issues, by something else? The way I always interpret this, and I like in my last few interviews, I asked this is my player as a Giants fan is Victor Cruz because he had three mm-hmm. years where he lit the world on fire then he has a knee injury and he falls off the face of the earth so that would be my biggest what if player if he would have been able to stay healthy for the entirety of his career is there anyone that comes to mind that maybe played with in high school played against the high school or that you've met in your professional career so far uh i would have to go to my favorite athlete um while i was growing up um and that'd be percy Harvin. man he was a guy that um you know i grew up in florida so i was a gator fan Gator for life and just watching him in college it like explode and I'm like yo this guy is crazy I, I want to grow up and be like him and stuff like that and then when he got to the league man you know getting to you know Minnesota doing what he was doing at Minnesota and then going to the Seahawks and then you know getting that kickoff return in the Super Bowl I'm like man he's going to be crazy and then you know unfortunately he was battling with a lot of hamstring issues and he had that like chronic migraine issue so you know I think he was in his best interest as far as like just being healthy man and and having the best ease of life you know I think it was his best interest to kind of ease off football for a while but man to like what it would be like to have him like through his whole career and stay in football that that was one guy that like anytime I don't care what team he was playing on, where he went. Like, I would be watching him all the time. But sometimes you see, like, the most superb athletes in college, for some reason, they're never able to fully translate their game to the NFL necessarily. Like, uh, one someone people always point to, which I think is kind of obvious why I didn't succeed at quarterback, is Tebow, like, mm-hmm. one of the greatest athletes in college. Some people call him the greatest college football player ever. And then he just doesn't translate to the NFL. John Ross, even for example, more recently, fastest 40 ever, great college player and And hasn't been able to make things work (laughs) so far. He's still some years left, hopefully, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, like I said, I think a lot of people misunderstand that transition. A lot of people go into college and think it's more physical than it is mental. And then when you get there, 
you understand the physical the physical stuff is there like there's not there you know there's a couple technique techniques and small things you may learn throughout your career but it's way more mental than it is physical and that's something that i had to learn and even something as simple as like the difference between being physically drained and mentally drained mm-hmm. like being physically drained you can ice tub massage and, and and be back you know within two days but being mentally drained and, and sleep deprived and and all of this stuff man it's it's hard and then you have all of this pressure anxiety you know and, and things going on with you know am i still going to be in a league cut day and, and all of this stuff my friend got cut and contract negotiations and things like that, man, it's, there's never a time where you can mentally just chill. Like your mind is going a hundred percent at all times. And so at some point, man, and that's what we've been seeing lately is a lot of guys just mentally just can't handle it anymore. And whether that's, you know, not necessarily breaking down, but it's just, you know, I don't want to live my life in, in stress and in consistent mental drainage and that's why we see a lot of guys that you know this year of course guys that just retire out of nowhere um and you're just like man what this guy was healthy he was just playing the other day like why would he retire and a lot of people don't understand like that mental i i really call it like a a, a ball and chain man that mental ball and chain you have carrying with you every day you're in the locker room you're in practice and things like that and you try your best to kind of ease that but in that type of environment, in that job, man, it's, it, it can weigh on you heavy. Yeah, I, that breaking point comes for everyone eventually. I mean, some people, it comes for in high school even, some that we never even hear <laughs> yeah. about. And some people in the middle of the game, was it was it Vontae Davis? With the, who was the uh, guy Vernon, with the Bills? Yeah, Vernon Davis, I think. No, Vernon Davis is a tight end. That's cornerback with the Bills that retired at halftime. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He just, man, for whatever reason, I, whether it was <laughs> – his body told him or who knows, but at some point, man, it's either your body's going to tell you or your mind. And it's just, it's time, bro. And sometimes it's, it's earlier than you want it to be, but you know, I, I really think your well being of life is, is really important. So, you know, we're in it, whenever that, that time goes off, you just got to listen to it, man. Yeah. And it makes it more wild. How long Brady has played now, how long Fitz played, yeah. How long Roethlisberger has played those guys that are in the game, you know, they played in high school, they played in college. Now they've been in the league for 13, 15, 20 years now for Brady, basically. Yeah. So it's just makes... been on 22 Madden games. <laughs> <laughs> that it blows my mind. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think at, at any point in my life, I had more than 22 games, period. I mean, he's been in the league longer than I've been alive. Calvin Johnson entered the league, retired, and entered the Hall of Fame while Brady's still been in the league. He's about to throw for more touchdowns in his 40s than he did in his 20s, which is just insane to think about. He have dudes on his team that weren't even born yet when he got in the league. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so crazy. it's, It's crazy, man, but... It just goes to show you how the game is way more mental than it is physical. You know, if it, if yeah. it was physical, Brady would have Brady would have tapped out a long time ago. But you know, as long as your mind is centered and your body can keep up with your mind, man, there's nothing you can't do. So, do you think he's? What do you think he's doing special? Because a lot of people are saying that he's looking better now than he did in his twenties, <laughs> and like some to a certain extent, like. 
he's still he's throwing the ball down the field. It's not like Peyton where it was kind of a fluttering duck you know, where the defense <laughs> won in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So. <laughs> as far as the difference from him being in New England to now, honestly, I don't think it's no different. The only thing is he's having fun. Like, when have you ever seen Brady go to the sideline and start laughing and joking with some of the guys on the sideline? Yeah. In New England, he sat down and it was like a, a fucking mask and a robot. Like <laughs> Terminator over there. But I think now he's just understanding that, you know, you don't have to be so serious to get to where you want to get to. You know, there's fun involved. And people don't understand that that stress and stressful environment that New England has, you know, just from the way they run their organization, you know, there's stress that's involved in that, you know, inherently. Maybe they, you know, they want it to be like that or not, but just like running something like a military boot camp is is stressful in itself. But when you are able to understand you can get the same exact result and you can have fun, man, it, it changes your whole perspective on life. And that's all the questions I have for you today for this interview. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to do this for me. I wish you luck with getting back with the Packers. Hopefully when this IR thing expires, I'm pretty sure that's what has caused that. And yeah, Yeah. thank you for just doing this. I'm trying to build upon my interview repertoire and try and get better at this. So once again, thank you for the opportunity. No, man, it's all it's all support, man. I love what you've been doing. You've been helping me, you know, in my training. So it's only right that I, you know, extend my hand and help with everything you got. You're a hard worker and I know you're going to, uh, you're going to make this thing blow up. So I can't wait to see it.